Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you and hope you had a great weekend. Um, a lot of things to talk about. Well, we're going to take a little break from the immediate breaking news and all the things that we've been discussing recently. We'll get back to that. Um, tomorrow we'll be uh, the, uh, talking about the medical issues and some uh, really good things you can do for your health. Um, and, and yeah, we're going to get to that tomorrow. And then breaking news and, and headlines and worldview and what's happening over in Europe and the Great Reset and all that. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. Um, but today we're going to talk about the biblical methodology and the origin of individual civil liberties. So we're going to get back to some basics on Bible interpretation because, as you know, the the, the issue of religious freedom has been uh, so important in uh, actually the since our existence here in America, but in the last two years, at, because more and more our freedoms are being threatened, government is growing, and we have this problem with the church now where pastors are starting to say, wait a minute, <laughs> I used to say Romans 13 and just, you know, that's all I needed to say, but now they want to shut us down, and they've, they've been uh, trying to close churches, and they've been trying to uh, limit what we can do we meaning the body of Christ. So what are we called to do from Scripture as Christians? And how do we apply what the Bible teaches to our, uh, well, our Constitution in America and living in a, a nation such as this? So today with me to talk about that is Christopher Cohn. He's the president and CEO of Agathon EDU Educational Group. He also leads Colorado Biblical University and he's a chief academic officer at Southern California Seminary and a research professor. He's got so much background in theology, but he, he is the author and general editor of more than 15 books, just a couple of them. Last time we talked about authentic social justice, and he's also got a book called Priority in Biblical Hermeneutics and Theological Method. So, Christopher, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, thank you, David. Always a pleasure to be with you. All right, thank you, and uh, pre we appreciate your time. As we talked about briefly before we got on the air, um, a lot of people have started to listen to this podcast, in part because of the great guests that we've had on through the years. But in the last probably two years, we've kind of taken a turn because we started off as more of a um, church discernment and uh, uh, maybe apologetics-driven podcast to now we're really looking at the headlines from a biblical perspective, and we're talking about how our religious freedoms are being threatened because it's right at our door now. And at, at, once COVID came on the scene last year, it is literally at the church door. Um, so, Christopher, your overall thoughts, first of all, before we get into some you know, some of the basics of interpreting the Bible um, and what, whatever you wanted to share, whatever God puts on your heart where this topic is concerned. Um, you're in Colorado, um, right? You're in Colorado? Well, actually, I'm, I'm all over the place. I, <laughs> my, my, my home base, I, I'm, uh, I'm at the uh, Diversity uh, Campus in Missouri, in okay. Missouri. 
I love the city name, by the way, Independence. But Absolutely. Uh, I also lead Colorado Biblical University, which is in Fort Morgan, Colorado. So I just, and in fact, just a couple of days ago, came back from uh, a conference in Colorado. So I'm, uh, and then I'm in Minnesota in a few days, and then Florida, and uh, wow. all over the place. Wow. Uh, well, we have a lot of friends in Colorado, which is interesting being the blue state that it is, but there is a, I don't want to say, I'll just say, you know, we have friends in the Colorado Springs area and between, you know, south of Denver, but that is a blue state. I mean, I think it was one of the first states to legalize pot, you know, I'm sorry, was it medical marijuana? (laughs) Yeah, it's actually recreational. They they were uh, the first state to to legalize recreational. And most most aren't too pleased about that, but yeah. uh, but new business for sure. Well, th- that's interesting. Missouri, from what I understand, it, generally they are more conservative, and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that because religious freedom is an issue in, in every state across the country. But sometimes it depends because of the state's rights and the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, it really depends on the government and whoever the people in a particular state elect, correct? Oh, absolutely. And I think, the, uh, especially in the Midwest, uh, I think it's real easy to have a sense of insulation, you know, that, mm. that uh, these things are yeah. far from us, but you mentioned it uh, about these things being at the door. And I think on the, on the coasts, you know, there's uh, there's uh, those things kind of hit the coast quicker, if you will, mm-hmm. and um, so folks there may be dealing with it more more readily. But but even here in in Missouri, for example, uh, I think uh, uh, on the ballot here pretty soon is is uh, recreational marijuana. So uh, you know things are delayed a little bit in the Midwest, <laughs> um, but not by not by a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and everyone is having to deal with the same kinds of challenges of, yes. of uh, what role does the government have in my life? What's my response to be? And how do I how do I answer those questions? Where do I go to get that uh, that information? Besides your podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good nice plug, Christopher. Now, I speaking of questions, you've written a lot of responses and answers. On the website, Got Questions. We've had Shea Hoodman on uh, many times here on this podcast. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Shay and Got Questions and some of the topics that you've written on and maybe even uh, maybe some interest uh, uh, as far as the reaction to um, a couple of the questions you've answered there. Well, that's, uh, you know, I appreciate that mention. Uh, Got Questions is a fantastic organization. Uh, Shay Hoodman and the, and the staff there are doing something really incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they have uh, created a, uh, a website that uh, I, I, I want to say it's the top three or four webs, religious websites on the planet. It's, <laughs> it's way up there. Incredible, incredible how many people it's impacting. Uh, and uh, it's probably the most quoted, uh, <laughs> most quoted source for, for uh, college, university, seminary students when they're dealing with uh, just about any topic. So I'm, um, I've known, known Shay for a while and uh, had a chance to uh, do some writing for them. So I, I, I try to write a lot, um, and there's so many talks. I, honestly, I, I couldn't even keep track. <laughs> uh, they, they have a fantastic uh, uh, approach. They keep track of some of the funny ones and, 
and do some videos on, on those. So there's some great questions, you know, even typos when people ask questions, but, but mostly gotquestions.org is a, a magnificent uh, place to go to deal with uh, just basic questions to get really biblical answers uh, on a whole host of issues. So really appreciative of their, of their ministry. As are we and uh, most of our listeners that have used that resource and are familiar with Got Questions. Um, Christopher, let, before we get into a little bit of the specifics on uh, individual civil liberties and, and what does the Bible say about our freedom? You know, I'm, we, we know the Old Testament uh, uh, people, believers, and those who were chosen by God to, to make an impact in some way, whether that be Daniel or, or the, uh, the Hebrew midwives or you know Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There's so many examples of people who kind of went against what the king said or what it went against the government, and they were commended. And Paul, of course, appealed to Caesar and so many different things as a Roman citizen. So we're American citizens. We have the Bible, and we have a very unique blessing in this country as far as the Constitution, how we were founded, and I should say even how they framed our uh, documents, our founding documents. So as far as the, the basics of Bible interpretation. You've written so much about this subject, and it's, you, you almost cannot do it uh, justice in an hour or even in 20 minutes or like in one segment here. But as we open up the, the podcast in, in talking about civil liberties, uh, the biblical origin, let, let's talk a little bit about what you wrote over um, on your website, um, ChristopherCone.com. Uh, you know what? Wait a minute. Before we do that, I have some specific questions on that article. Before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity to share about I- interpreting the Bible. Some people say you can't take this literally. Other people interpret it different ways, and you kind of go, wait a minute. Uh, isn't it supposed to be this way? So just share your thoughts on that and give us a couple bullet points maybe that we could take. Sure, sure. And and, uh, and I think the article is on drcone.com. Yes, I, I yes. don't even recall if uh, ChristopherCone.com is me. It might be, but it might be some, <laughs> someone else. But you're no, right. You're no, right. DrCone.com. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the idea is, as you mentioned, David, that, that people are asking, they're asking questions at the sociopolitical level, you know, questions of, uh, about how I should respond to uh, government regulation, increasing regulation, whether it applies to my business or my own personal life or my medical, uh, you know, health or, or, or all these different aspects. I mean, it's something as simple as wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or a vaccination versus not, you know, these kinds of things. These are the, the questions that we're, we're all having to wrestle with. And uh, not too many people are saying, you know, as I think about whether or not to wear a mask, I, you know, I wonder what are the hermeneutic implications and underpinnings of all, you know, people aren't thinking like that, right? We, we just don't. But, but the idea is to, uh, to understand that, that God has revealed himself in Scripture and given us the guideline for how we are to think, how we're to engage, and how we're to behave, you know, uh, and treat each other. And so, so sometimes it's kind of the the uh, the Vince Lombardi approach of uh, this is a football. Right? <laughs> Just get get back to basics, as you said earlier in our conversation. Sometimes we just need to say, okay, does the Bible address this? Uh, and does it give me these principles for how to make decisions like? That? And and if so, can I? Is there a way for me to be certain that I'm understanding it correctly? So the, those basic questions can really help us as we think about 
you know, the, the trending items of the day, how, just how we're supposed to react and deal with them. So let's go to um, people say, well, all Scripture, well, the Bible says, of course, it is inerrant, it is inspired by God, literally, literally God-breathed. So, and it, it just says so much about the Word itself, Psalm 119, one of my favorites, the longest in the Bible, but it says so much about the beauty, the perfection, uh, the majesty of God's Word. So as Christians in this, you know, country and in America, when we go to interpret Scriptures, um, I know it was written, the Bible was written in a couple different languages, and people get confused, I think, about how do you take something that was written at that time and what Paul's letters in the early church and what they were dealing with, and how can we look at that and interpret that in our context today? Excellent, excellent questions. And uh, and one of the most fundamental issues that we have to deal with as individuals, uh, as, as believers— <clears throat> Because uh, if it's true that God has communicated with us uh, in these pages, which it asserts that that's the case, and as you mentioned, Saint Timothy three sixteen seventeen, uh, uh, and, you know, Psalm one nineteen, every verse has a statement of how great uh, God's revelation is, His Word is to us, and then a statement about um, essentially how we should respond to that. And so, if if we believe that, and we're trying to be biblical people. Uh, then just understanding what he said is really important. And I think sometimes we can get lost in the idea that uh, these are you know, centuries-old manuscripts and documents and different cultures, but the reality is we've always been dealing with the same thing. How do we relate to God? How do we understand ourselves? How do we relate to each other? How do we relate to the world around us? And so uh, we, can, we can read the basic nouns and verbs, uh, and understand what's being said, uh, recognizing that there's an original audience, and so they had responsibilities that might not uh, exactly match ours. So you know, we might call that primary application. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so, for example, you know, Jesus says to his uh, two of his disciples, "Go to the next town and get a colt of a donkey." Well, uh, that's what the text says. And if we say, "Well, Jesus tells us to go get a donkey." Uh, you know, any any of us gone to the next city and grabbed a donkey? Uh, probably not too many, right? Because we understand it was written, giving instruction to those two guys, and uh, uh, but we we benefit from it. Uh, so they went and they got the donkey. They did what they were told. We benefit from that, and we uh, understand that when Jesus gives some direction, we need to follow that because He has a plan that you know we may not understand. In our context, that's like uh, God saying, hey, jump in your car and go over to such and such a, a ministry or whatever <laughs> and help out. Um, so I, I want to ask, I guess the, the problem that a lot of people have is, I, and this does, again, go back to the basics, is can God's Word be trusted today? Because it was written for that time, but it w- was written for all. I think I just remember reading this morning, Romans fifteen four, that all Scripture is for us today, and it is beneficial for us. And everything, that, in fact, it says everything that was written in the past was written for our um, edification. I just kind of paraphrase Romans fifteen four, but it's, in other words, in the in the New Testament, Paul's writing to Romans, the Roman Church or the Church at Rome, not the Romans. Um, but he wrote that the Old Testament 
is good because we can learn from it. But yet we go, well, wait a minute, uh, Christopher, that was so long ago, the Old Testament, you know. So in, in fact, the problem, again, I know I'm kind of bringing up three questions in one, but some churches even avoid the Old Testament. For whatever reason, I'm going, boy, if God's Word is God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, is that a big mistake? What are your thoughts? Oh, it's it's critical. Uh, the the idea uh, is that God has revealed Himself. We divide it into two parts, and that's, to, to be really candid, that's kind of nuts. <laughs> uh, there's, there's really no reason for us to do that. What we see is you have the, the Hebrew Scriptures— uh, and Jesus himself affirms those Hebrew scriptures. Uh, he does it uh, several times as he'll quote from each section and refer to them as historical. And at the end of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the last, uh, the last chronological uh, prophecy, you know, you have Malachi, right? He's uh, maybe fifth century before Christ, uh, early 400s, if you will. And uh, he says that, you know, the next big thing, and this is God speaking and Malachi recording it, there's going to be a forerunner, uh, and then uh, the Messiah is going to come into his, his temple. And, uh, and we, we have 400 years of uh, no revelation, mm-hmm. uh, which Amos hinted at. And then, uh, uh, lo and behold, God communicates with humanity again, uh, uh, announcing the arrival of this, uh, this one who will be called John the Baptist, right, who, because he was baptizing, but he, he would be this forerunner. Uh, announcing the Messiah, proclaiming, you know, uh, change your mind because about how you get in the kingdom because the kingdom of the heavens is is near, and then uh, uh, Jesus is on the scene, and so that Malachi the prophecy at the end of the the Hebrew scriptures is 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 fulfilled that part of it, and uh, so now we march on with Jesus' ministry. He commissions uh, these these uh, eleven guys. Says the Holy Spirit is going to come guide you into all the truth. And then he personally, Jesus does, personally uh, calls Saul, later we know him as Paul. Uh, and when we look at the, what we call the New Testament, it is uh, <clears throat> the record of these people that Jesus commissioned and those who work closely with them. Uh, and so it's really, I don't want to use the term continuous, because there's certainly a 400-year gap, but mm-hmm. the point is that God is revealing himself in a progressive way. He's giving more and more detail as he goes, and we absolutely can trust it uh, because of the, the stamp of, of Jesus himself uh, and uh, the consistency and cogency and coherence of this message, mm-hmm. fulfilled prophecy, all kinds of reasons we could go into that. But I, I'm so thankful for... Uh, the unity of God's Word, yes. and he addresses all these issues. So, you know, the political stuff and the challenges we face today, the mm-hmm. answers are, are there. Yeah, from Genesis to Revelation, the story of redemption, and it's just amazing. Uh, we, we kind of forget and take for granted that it over 1,500 years, this amazing masterpiece of God was assembled by how many authors? Was it there over— About 40. 40, 40 authors— was it written on three continents? And you kind of go, wow, these, these things in human odds, <laughs> in our odds, we're going, wow, that's just amazing that all 66 books, they, they point to Jesus or eventually reveal more and more. I like what you said. This is the Scriptures revealing God, and I think of Revelation, you know, the last book of our Scriptures. So we have so much more to talk about, and we are going to get into this article that you've written, uh, this paper, I should say, The Biblical Origin 
of individual civil liberties. I mean, it is extensive, and you talk about, um, I mean, all these different philosophers. You talk about, you know, you know, John Locke. You mentioned Marx and Engel. I'm going, wow, where is he going with that? But this is all proves <laughs> together to make some of your points and look at the different ways people understand individual civil liberties. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll dive into that with Dr. Christopher Cohn. And the website is drcone.com. I'll link up this paper in today's podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. We'll be right back. Your monthly financial support of standupforthetruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Christopher Cohn. Today, uh, we're talking about the, you know, biblical methodology. We talked briefly about, you know, interpreting uh, the scriptures and um, the right way to do that. But now we're going we're gonna to transition into what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast and the origin of individual civil liberties. And we have a, a paper you can go to at drcohn.com, The Biblical Origin of Individual Civil Liberties. It is a long, extensive uh, paper. And um, I know, did you write it uh, last year? Is that is that this... Uh, the same one last year? Yeah, so I, I've, uh, I, I try to write both some popular articles and uh, some academic-level papers for, for presentation, and that one would have been last fall, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, uh, with the elections and all, you know, people's, people's thinking uh, in, in political terms and uh, on the forefront. So, yeah, that was a, that was a recent one. Yeah, I, I think the need was definitely uh, very clear <laughs> last year in 2020 when you decided to write this. Uh, and you probably, at the time, this is interesting, at the time you, you probably, well, of course, you, I think it says September 2020. So, okay, you, you saw what was happening in the churches, and you saw how the, the church was really, we understand how uh, culture and the world can think and react to uh, things we don't like, whether it be government or politics or culture, whatever. But when the church divides on so many issues, Christopher, it's it's disappointing. I understand it. I get it. We are passionate about certain views, but it's disappointing because we're supposed to be united as the body of Christ, and we're not in America. So many denominations, but beyond that, within individual churches, we're divided on some of this and, and religious freedom civil liberties are one of those areas that really divides us. So can you start, let's just, the very beginning of your paper. The Declaration of Independence makes the audacious claim that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This assertion, you say, of origin is rooted in a Judeo-Christian worldview, or more precisely, a biblical one, and has been embraced by America's founding fathers. I don't understand it, Christopher, but there are some people who would disagree with that. And this is the very beginning of your paper. So uh, give us a little background on what led you to write this at that time, which was almost exactly a year ago, and then the fact that some people would disagree with this basic thing that we would assert. Well, of course, timing is, is key. And as you as you think about what we're dealing with in the culture, um, uh, you know, as as we have uh, maybe racial uh, concerns and disunity, I'll, I'll try and get into those areas. Mm-hmm. Just, just generally, sure. Personally, I try to address 
issues that I feel like there's a gap or a need. Um, and there are a lot of other great folks out there uh, doing a, a far better job, but I, you know, I, I, I have a burden to, to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, the political disunity uh, that, that we're seeing last year, uh, and obviously it's nothing new, but that, that is, I think, emblematic or maybe symptomatic of the church's uh, tendency to move away from foundational ideas and, and good biblical priorities to focus on things uh, that are maybe sometimes not even relevant and not realize it. Hmm. So I think it's a back-to-basics moment when we have disunity. Paul hmm. tells us you have you have one faith, you know, hmm. you're one. Uh, in Ephesians 4, he he tells us to you know preserve the, the unity that we have. So we already have it. We've got to get back to basics to see who are we? What are we designed to be? How are we supposed to engage with each other? And then a lot of these political controversies can begin to dissipate when our priorities are ordered biblically. Mm. When you were talking, I just couldn't help but think of Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and then it says, Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. So as and once we are in Christ, that unity, it should be so powerful. But boy, the enemy, one of his great, uh, I think, agendas is division. And we're seeing a lot of that. And we are human beings and Christians, and we deal with a lot of the stuff in this world. And we react with our passions and emotions and our biases sometimes, um, but one thing, maybe you can speak to this, Christopher, as we look more into your article, The Biblical Origin of Individual individual uh, Civil Liberties. And I want to talk about John Locke in a minute. But when, when people, before they even go to the Scriptures or before they even research something, whatever it might be, a worldly philosophy, a something that's, that's out there, talking points, whether that be political or something that is being put out— um, it really is disappointing that we should be the ones as Christians that should be the most diligent in pursuing truth, in researching where does something come from, from a biblical worldview, and look at these things as far as the worldly philosophies, right? Yes. We, we ought to be both leaders and followers. We ought to be so familiar, so uh, immersed in God's Word, you know, as the designer, capital D, who has designed us and designed how we uh, engage with each other, we ought to be very familiar with that mm-hmm. and with him, obviously. And uh, as we are faced with these questions um, and the, the daily challenges, we ought to be leading in providing solutions and providing direction because his word is a lamp to our feet, right? Amen. Uh, referencing Psalm 119. So the the challenge is the less familiar we are with the Word of God, the less capable we are of leading uh, from a biblical perspective, which means now we're having to borrow from other worldviews, or we're just not leading at all because we have no certainty. Mm. And uh, those are not good options. Oh, amen. Um, to your uh, paper, before we get to uh, the biblical assertions of individual civil liberties, which is toward the end of your paper. Uh, You mentioned Plato. 
Um, yeah, someone, someone would be surprised on a paper on civil liberties for you to, to talk about that. So let's just go to your paper and share um, your progression and, and your reasoning, how you set that up and the points you were making. Sure, sure. So Plato is, uh, he's one of the forefathers of, uh, of socialism and communism. Um, we wouldn't associate necessarily terminology-wise. You know, you don't think of Plato, yeah. but a, a lot of times it's good to go back to look at where these ideas came from. Mm, yes. And, and Pla- Plato's argument was that regular people, uh, democracy was bad. Regular people um, are idiots, just if I can use a more current vernacular. <laughs> um, the mob rule, uh, as democracy would be, mm-hmm. is just awful. Instead, we need to have the philosopher kings governing, uh, self-serving, right? The, the philosophers like Plato would be the ones who would, uh, who would govern society because the others, the regular folks, aren't capable of thinking and making good decisions. And so you have this elite, this uh, intelligentsia, who, who determine what's good for everybody else, and they do that because they're enlightened philosophers. And so Plato sets up a whole sociopolitical system, um, a whole society. That's what really what the Republic is all about, uh, how, uh, how a, a society should operate. And it involves social engineering and uh, eugenics and, mm. uh, I mean, crazy stuff we wouldn't, we wouldn't think would be in the, in the uh, 6th century before Christ. Um, so uh, very much uh, dismissing God as the designer of society, instead looking at these elite thinkers. Well, that is exactly today the progressive left, mm-hmm. uh, the, the mindset. Uh, it's echoed in Marx and Engels in the Communist Manifesto. Yep. They're actually not, not advocating communism. They're advocating socialism first mm-hmm. as, the, as the step to it. And it's really very platonic. And so my, one of the reasons that I get into that is because I'm trying to encourage people to think about where these ideas came from, and if we can uh, be knowledgeable in Scripture, we can we can address and respond to these ideas and recognize them uh, when we hear them, when we see them, recognize that they are not uh, as our designer, capital D, has has designed. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating that what you just explained about Plato. We and that goes further back. Than Karl Marx, and we tend we tend to point everything to him. The Marxism in America right now, the threats that we're experiencing, the cultural Marxism uh, that the left, the the global elites, and the power elites have been using and implementing. And of course, it is a satanic agenda at its core because it is spiritual, because it is against the biblical worldview. It's anti Christ. So before we go to John Locke, you mentioned a man, uh, Richard Filmer. I wasn't familiar with him, or I don't remember him. Um, could you share his assertion of scriptural divine right and just whatever you'd like to share about Filmer? Yeah, so so he is Filmer is essentially arguing for the divine right of kings, and he's doing it based on the Bible. Okay, now this is where interpretation of the Bible is really really important because mm-hmm. Filmer is suggesting that because of how God worked with Adam. Uh, that that in itself, without going into all the details, but that in itself is a biblical proof that 
kings have uh, are divinely appointed, have a divine right uh, in that lineage. Hmm. And so uh, he's arguing for that kind of traditional, the, the, the British monarchical system, if you will. And uh, that's really problematic. John Locke, for example, you, you, you mentioned him, mm-hmm. he will come along and counter that idea by explaining that Filmer is totally distorting what the Bible says. And, and it's a good case study uh, of how we can think we might be using the Bible uh, as, a, uh, uh, as a foundation for our decision-making. But if we haven't uh, understood it in, in a normative way, just as basic communication, then we're asking for trouble. And I think uh, Filmer uh, fell into some trouble because of his, his faulty use of the Bible. Interesting. Um, I think of Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, um, 20 and 21, about, and I'm thinking under, into the context of God's sovereignty over, and I think of Isaiah 54, I think it's, or 45, I'm sorry. Uh, king Cyrus, a pagan king, God calls him his anointed. And I'm thinking about Daniel 20, 21, God changes times and seasons he removes kings and sets up kings. Would you like to? Does that fit into this? What we're talking about? Oh, most certainly. Uh, God is the creator, as the designer, has sovereignty over His creation. And uh, when you think about uh, what that means, what the implications are for how we live, how we engage, how we deal with government, how we set up government, those kinds of questions. Uh, we, we really need to be looking to the design from the designer. Uh, you know, Plato's looking at an alternative model, and he is echoing what, uh, what Satan tempted Eve with in the garden. God had already set up, here's, here's your method, here's what I want you to do, here's what you cannot do. And Satan challenged that and essentially said, you can be like God by doing it this way. If you just uh, follow the path I'm going to set before you, you'll be like God. So it's mm-hmm. the first, uh, you know, uh, alternative candidate, if you will. And uh, Plato extrapolates on that. Marx and Engels extrapolates on that. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge we have is uh, if we have been created uh, by an intelligent designer, and, uh, you know, I capital I, capital D, and I'm talking about the biblical God, mm-hmm. uh, then he knows, uh, he understands, he's designed uh, what we're about and how we ought to live, including how we ought to be governed and govern ourselves and, go- and govern each other, etc. And when we move away from his design, it is uh, highly flawed, but to make sure we're understanding his design, we've got to get into his word, and we've got to understand it well which I would say an eight-year-old has a, just a, a better chance of understanding it than somebody who has uh, distorted it for their own theological ends and means. So it's about submitting to the, to the writer, if you will. Okay. Um, so it, can you share a little bit about—now, I don't know if I printed this out. It's on page 9, according to my printer and how it printed out your paper, but where— Locke, John Locke and Filmer disagreed 
And you brought up Genesis, so let's let's go there. We we only have three minutes left in this segment, so if we have to pick it up, uh, great. But Filmer asserted that Adam had royal or governmental authority over all humanity, but Locke suggests that there was no element of authority over humanity until Genesis three sixteen. Can you share a little bit about that? We'll we'll finish it up when we come back. Yes, there's nothing in the biblical text that gives Adam authority over anybody. Uh, now, they're in, Adam and Eve are given the mandate uh, to rule and subdue all creation, but then, of course, at the fall in Genesis 3, they, they failed at that, and that, that mandate is, uh, is, is redacted. Hmm. Um, uh, it's not repeated ever again until, obviously, you see Christ fulfilling that and ruling. But uh, Filmer is reading a political idea into the text. I see. I see. That's a perfect answer, and and that's what we do a lot, don't we? <laughs> we're looking down our noses at Philemon, and we're reading our own political ideologies into the Bible when it comes to interpreting what we're dealing with here in America. <laughs> and that's the that's the punchline: is we've got to we've got to stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about John Locke when we come back. But I, I like what you said. And again, on my page, as I printed out your paper on page 10 about what, what Locke said. So we'll share about that. Plus, um, very interesting, you mentioned Marx and Engels suggesting that private property had already been abolished. We'll, we'll talk about that because my pastor at church yesterday played a very fascinating video clip from the World Economic Forum about, you know, we won't own ev- anything in the future, but we'll be happy as Americans. So we're really talking about this idea of private property. So what does the Bible say about that? And again, we're talking about uh, with uh, Christopher Combe about some very important issues about individual civil liberties. More in a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So in his paper, The Biblical Origin of Individual Civil Liberties at drcohen.com. You uh, mentioned John Locke, and it says Locke identifies such an important principle that all humanity belong to God and for his own pleasure. I think of Colossians chapter 1 talking about Jesus. All things were created uh, by him and for him. And then you say it is because of this stewardship of life that life liberty and the pursuit of happiness have their true value. Um, Christopher, this is a foreign concept to a lot of countries, a lot of people, groups around the world, and very unique to America and our Constitution. But I think you laid it out here in explaining what John Locke uh, views. Share a little bit more about that. Yeah, John Locke is working from—he's building his sociopolitical concept from— biblical premises. Now, I'm not going to claim that uh, I I would agree with all of his theology necessarily, but what he's doing here in this area is he he is recognizing that this belongs to God, and if he's revealed himself and he's revealed a design, then that design defines natural law. And so uh, people have value because they belong to God, because God created them, and he assigns a specific value uh, in Genesis 9 uh, and asserting the image of God, which we saw in in Genesis 1 as well. Uh, And he he implements consequences for violating that image in in Genesis 9. 
So Locke is realizing these things and recognizing that they are consistent or that they correspond with natural law. And the implications of that are uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, which is very much in that section, very much from Locke's train of thought, uh, the Declaration uh, really aligns with the biblical concept uh, because it is acknowledging that humanity has value because God created humanity uh, in, in his own image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a uniqueness of the value of human life yes. over and against other kinds of life. Yes, let's talk about that. That word, life, because it starts, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness have their true value. Um, life, does that mean life in the womb? And does this apply, Genesis 9-6, when it says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed, for God made man in his own image. So is this it comes down to this argument of whether a growing, um, developing fetus in the womb is a human being. So is this a, you know, a, a good point? I, I, I saw a tweet this morning, a uh, retweet, uh, where uh, a gentleman said that if one says that, uh, that an unborn child is not a human life, they are anti-science. And I thought that's such a great statement, because <laughs> now the only reason that anyone would deny that that's a human life is is uh, uh, to justify a behavior. Yep. Um, it's certainly not scientific. So, Amen. yes, uh, and, you know, and this is one of the major problems that we had in our country and, and are still dealing with the the uh, the the results. Mm-hmm. Uh, slavery in the United States came in large part from people who who understood the Declaration of Independence and ascribed sacredness to, you know, human life, but they were denying that a particular uh, ethnicity and the particular skin color was, was human. Mm. And it, it, it's so awful if we would have simply uh, recognized the biblical concept, uh, uh, taking the Declaration of Independence seriously, as it as it describes, yes. that all men are created equal. Okay, so if, if all are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, which means they cannot be separated, there's no way that the crimes uh, against the, the, the different minorities could have ever been justified. But mm. it's when we move away from biblical ideas to say, oh, well, this, this isn't a this person isn't sacred in God's sight. That's right. Um, we, we get ourselves in a big, big trouble. So, yeah, abortion, racism, I mean, these are key and core issues uh, that the Bible resolves so simply. Yes, and that idea of justifying these things leads also to things like euthanasia and saying the elderly are, are have less value, or as Hitler did in the 30s and 40s, the Jews had less value and, and other uh, groups, but anyway, let's go, go on briefly. We only have with less than ten minutes. Um, the pursuit of happiness. This is something that has become a snare to a lot of people in America because we've been free. Such a, a blessing to have the Constitution and the, and the freedoms that we do. But it has caused us to take that for granted, and it has caused us to pursue selfish gains a lot of times. I admit my own past things that I've pursued. But this idea of pursuing happiness that God would um, approve of would be as 
Psalm 37, 4, and we take this out of context, by the way, and you can speak to this, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What that doesn't say, Christopher, obviously, is God's not going to give you whatever you desire in your human flesh and what in your passions and whatever you want to do in life, ignoring Scripture, ignoring the Bible, ignoring the commandments, but doing whatever you want to do. And that's satanic, in fact. Do what thou wilt. Exactly. So speak to that. The pursuit of happiness, it's it can be a good thing, but it's a bad thing in the way some people look at that. It's all about me and my happiness, and that's not biblical. Yeah, you have to define terms. Uh, anytime we're having a conversation, many many times we'll disagree with one another, and we might be using the same term differently. Hmm. Uh, well, that's an issue with the, the, the phrase pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, when When Locke wrote that, he was talking about Aristotle's idea of happiness coming from uh, virtue, okay? So what it really was was the freedom to pursue virtue. Uh, and so it wouldn't have been related to hedonism at all or pleasures at all. Uh, now, we've, we've distorted that, that idea and turned it into more of a hedonistic, I'm free to pursue my own pleasure. Exactly. But bib- biblically, which is obviously... That's our foundation, not even Locke or certainly Aristotle in this. Our, the idea is biblically, and I love the passage that you referenced. Um, Psalm 37 describes an order of priority. Mm. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 6, right? The idea is that if we are seeking him, pursuing him, uh, prioritizing what's important to God, uh, then our lives will be fulfilled, will be blessed. Uh, you know, I think about the end of uh, Romans chapter 8, where he he describes the end game for those who have believed in Christ, is that they'll be conformed to the image of Christ, hmm. and whatever he needs to bring into my life to, to shape me and help me to get there, uh, you know, when I meet him face to face, I'll be like him. But that process, that gradual process that we encounter in this life, sometimes it means I don't get what I want. It means I get precisely what I don't want. Yes. Uh, but it's about what I need versus what I want. But but Locke is talking about, uh, and the Declaration is talking about, the freedom to pursue uh, virtue and the results of virtue, which includes private property and mm. the fruits of one's labor. I'm glad you said that. That's our next transition as we talk about Marx and Engels' economic solution. You know, we're thinking of, we just read, uh, where we're studying uh, Revelation at our church, verse by verse, and we were just finished up 18, the, the uh, economic uh, Babylon, um, the system of uh, Babylon. But anyway, Marx and Engel, uh, share with us what you talked about there, because uh, they suggest private property um, is already done away with, and that that now this is where the World Economic Forum comes in, and we're in our context here. They are pushing the Great Reset, meaning global socialism. The idea is it's everybody's equal, and you take the money from whoever and, and spread it out. You won't own anything, but you'll be happy, which is a lie. But this is what they're really pushing, even in one of their own PR videos. So share with us what you shared. Now, the subject of individual civil liberties, and you mentioned Marx and Engel and their solution. Well, you know, go back to the beginning, of course. God created humanity to govern uh, and to possess and govern, essentially, rule and subdue. And uh, so Adam and Eve in the garden had everything there was to have. They, they governed it, ruled it. it. That was the design. 
of course, they, uh, Satan offered them a lie, uh, God-likeness, which they already had, but he offered them uh, God-likeness. And what they ended up doing was they ended up losing everything. Hmm. Um, and so now you have the, the, the human condition, right? Fallenness, brokenness, uh, uh, strife, murder, all these things, right? Well, Plato, again, comes along and he, he postulates, he, he decides that he's going he's gonna to put forth the ideal society, how it can work even though humanity is, is broken, and the only way it can work is if you have these elite making decisions for everyone else, essentially owning and, uh, and controlling everything else. Marx and Engels come along, and the idea, uh, borrowing from Plato, is you, you have to eliminate private property hmm. uh, because private property is the, uh, the motivator, uh, a person owning their property is a motivator uh, for actions against others, oppression, etc. So you've got to get rid of private property because it's too great a difference between one person and another. Mm. Okay? Yep. So in theory, let's say you're successful. You, okay, so you've got this property, and uh, now it does not belong to the person who earned it. Well, who does it belong to? Well, it belongs to the party. <laughs> it belongs to that elite uh, that's making all the decisions. Yep. And we're moving very quickly toward a, toward a concept that um, uh, that one does is not entitled to the fruit of their labors. Um, the, the government is providing just what they need and they'll contribute everything that they can. But for Locke, this is so critical because Locke believed that the, the right to private property was demanded by the right to life. If you don't have the right to own your own food or you don't have the right to own your own clothing or shelter, um, you know, to, to labor so that you can own those things and then possess them, then you really don't have the right to life because if you can't protect yourself or feed yourself, mm-hmm. you, you can't subsist. So for Locke, uh, property rights and life are, are intertwined. And I think we, I think he's wise in that. And I think we're in, in, in some muddy ground when we start getting away from that. Yeah, and you say in uh, a little further on, you say because the problem is diagnosed simply as economic, there's no focus on the tethering of justice to anything other than an economic system, which I think is a very good point. Uh, you say there is also an appeal only to those, I'm sorry, to those dissatisfied by their current conditions to overthrow the economic powers of the day to seek their own betterment. Isn't that what we're seeing today? A whole group trying to overthrow the system, so to speak. And that means America. Get America out of the way. And who said this? There's a quote in here, Christopher. Who said this? Communism sets out to free the human condition from the greed that so entangles us. Who said that? Was it Plato or was that Marx and Engel? Read the, read the quote it's, one more time. It says, communism, you mentioned Marx and Engels advocate a system yep, yep. That, that was an expression of Plato's ideal city-state. And then you said, communism, in quotes, sets out to free the human condition from the greed that so entangles us. In other words, communism is a good thing because then there's less greed. <laughs> well, I, I, think I, said, I think I said that because I, I think I was explaining that that's what communism is setting out to do. Okay. The, prob- the problem is communism is trying to solve 
a spiritual problem that they won't diagnose as spiritual. They're diagnosing it as economic. The problem is oppression mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, people being violated and a disordered society, and you can go on and on and on. Communism is an economic system that says if we take away all the differences from people so that they're all uh, equal and alike, then there won't be any motivation, there won't be any strife, and it's so naive, and it's, it's not worked anywhere it's been put in place. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just f- kind of funny when I hear that word entangle. They're talking about the greed that entangles us, the solution being communism, right? I, th- I just couldn't help but think of Hebrews 12, 2, that, that, or 12, 1, that says, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Well, we didn't get a chance to get to the conclusion of your paper, Biblical Assertions of Individual Civil Liberties, but we'll have to talk about that another time and and have people go and pick up your paper. Again, drcone.com. Christopher, thank you for being with us, and uh, hopefully people got a lot out of the conversation today. Thank you. My pleasure, David. All right, God bless you. When we come back, we'll let you know who our guests are the rest of this week on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Okay, friends, tomorrow, uh, medical issues. We're talking to Dr. Patrick Flynn. I believe he's going to be in studio with us. And on Wednesday, we're back to John Haller and uh, prophecy and headlines and worldview and uh, current issues with John. And then Russ Miller, uh, we've got him back on Thursday talking about creation science and Dran Reese. Can't wait to have her back on. And that's on Friday. Uh, Thank you guys so much. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.